0: Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today we're going to hear a talk that Shauna Holm gave this uh, past June, and it was at a conference held in Southern Oregon University in Ashland. The conference was titled Exploring Psychedelics in Culture, Religion, and Science. Now, the full title that Shauna gave to this talk is Breaking the Spell Through the Portal of the Sacred Mushroom but for purposes of fitting it into our MP3 player title bars a little better, anyhow, I uh, shortened it to Breaking the Spell on You. (laughs) And as you can tell, I'm a big Nina Simone fan, and her song, I Put a Spell on You, has uh, long been one of my favorites. However, as Shauna so clearly points out in her talk, we humans seem to be in the habit of using some words and phrases without clearly thinking about what those words actually represent. So uh, is it possible, uh, even to us more materialistic people, that someone can put a spell on us? Well, if you've ever been in love, then you know that is exactly what seems to happen. And after listening to Shauna's talk a few minutes ago, I see how our entire culture has put a spell on us. And as Shauna explains, our friendly magic mushrooms can remedy that situation if you just spend the time and effort to do the work required. That is, after you return to the default world of materialistic spells that often holds us back from becoming the beings that deep down we know ourselves to be. However, Shauna explains this so much better than I can, so why don't I just step out of the way and let her take over from here.
1: So I am so honored to be here today. And uh, so in this talk, Breaking the Spell Through the Portal of the Sacred Mushroom, I am going to spend the first half of the talk uh, just speaking to the construct, which I uh, has been revealed to me through my work with the mushroom. So, uh, the beings that work with me, yes, I consider them as other others. Uh, they speak in terms of spells, and so I want to speak to the spell of the construct, and then go into the uh, fertile, uh, rich world territory of the mushroom. And so I'm going to open with this image. This is by uh, a dear friend of mine, Tara Holcomb, and her name is spelled T-E-R-R-A, and she was born on Earth Day, and she is a phenomenal uh, photographer, visionary artist, and she travels up to the uh, Olympic Peninsula to the rainforest there, and she takes these extraordinary photographs and she immerses herself in the uh, scenery. And uh, this is from a series called Married to Nature. And my first thought when I saw this image was, oh my God, that is exactly how I approach the mushroom. The mushroom to me really is a portal to the forest. And I was in the Olympic rainforest when I had my first experience with the mushroom, uh, a la Terence McKenna, lying down five grams in the dark, but surrounded by ancient mosses, uh, trees just dripping with this moss and uh, moss on the ground. And my approach was that, uh, with great reverence uh, in a very high ritual And through that, a relationship was formed. Actually, a union uh, came into union with the spirit of the forest. The forest opened its gates to me, and I, in turn, opened the gates of my heart. And uh, I actually came into connection with the first of a couple of extraordinary allies, uh, this one, in this case, being Pan, and Pan has long been known as the god of the forest. And I will uh, talk about him in the second half of this uh, talk. This still might be a little bit of a departure. You've got the ladies' view now. So a uh, uh, little bit of my experience. So I want to speak to the power of initiation. Because really, initiation is designed to break the spell. It is designed to break the spell of who we think we are and how we perceive our world to be. And so through initiation, we're thrust into this experience. And through that, then, we, uh, we are never the same. We are forever changed. Now, with the mushroom There's no formal container, really, is there? It is not like the Native American church. It's not like the Santo Daime. Uh, The mushroom's really rogue. And you know what? I like that. The shaman is rogue, and the witch is rogue, and the seer is rogue. And the mushroom has a wildness to it because it is wild, just as our minds once were wild. And the mushroom has said to me, I am that which will not be civilized. I am that which will not be legitimized. I am a mystery, and I cannot be contained. And so, our modern science, material science, uh, I have great regard for it, and at the same time, it does like to do just that. It will pluck something out of its natural environment, It will isolate it, and it will break it down to the sum of its parts. But these medicines uh, usher us into very rich territory. They are gifts from nature, and nature is far more than the sum of her parts. And so I see the uh, mushroom as really the ultimate test of the initiate because you're on your own. There's really no shaman to guide you, and so it really is up to you to determine how this is going to look and and where are you going to do that medicine. And if you ask me, um, I would recommend you do it out in nature where you belong. And so... I want to uh, talk about spells. I call this uh, work, or I think of this work as the work of know thyself. And in order to know thyself, uh, we have to know what we are not. We have to uh, break the spell. And it's really about undoing our conditioning. And, and I really think, what is the point of doing these medicines if you're not going to break the spell of your perceptions of who and what you think you are and, and what you perceive this world to be? And so I want to just play with that word spell. And uh, I looked it up in uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And so it says, uh, to charm as spelled with words of power and also a charm consisting of some words of occult power. And the etymology of the word spell is story, saying, tale, history, narrative, fable, discourse, command. And from circa 1200, quote, an utterance, something said a statement, remark, meaning a set of words with supposed magical or occult power, incantation, charm. And the term spell is generally used for magical procedures which cause harm or force people to do something against their will, unlike charms for healing, protection, etc. And that is from the Oxford Dictionary of English Folklore. And so I just think it's very interesting that the word spell is directly associated with words. That's where spelling a word comes from. And words are really a double-edged sword. We can uh, uplift with our words, and we can also imprison with our words. There is a proverb, Proverb 1828, and it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And so that is a very strong statement. In other words, uh, I see our words as a wand. And so we can create heaven on earth, we can create absolute magic with these words, or we can create an unholy mess. We think in words, we speak in words, and we create in words. We conjure quite literally uh, with words. And uh, also, the English language is so crazy wild, because you can say one word, and yet it means something entirely different. And that's really strange and confusing. And there is uh, a woman, Laura, uh, uh, Laurel Irika. She's a writer and a linguist. And she writes about word spells. And she says, As one who spent a lifetime playing in the magical undercurrent of word symbols and sounds, I've come to the conclusion that English is largely a fear-based language of limitation and persuasion towards conformity and mediocrity, and I think we need to do something about it. And she's so brilliant. And so she came up with this. Consider the sad ring of mourning that greets us each new day as we come awake, from our nightly immersion in our personal life's dream. Hear how the weekdays sound like the weekdays, and how weekend is hardly different from weekend, which is precisely how so many of us feel after being pulverized in the daily grind through which we endeavor to earn our living at various jobs and undertakings. (sighs) What a somber vision of a fallen life such words conjure together when shown in trance. Lation. It's little wonder, then, that our most common salutation to each other is hell, oh. <laughs> Ten years of such mind-numbing living is termed a decade, which the British so wisely pronounce decade. <laughs> And so our words determine our mindset, and we create with that mindset. And so we all grow up in this culture that really tells us how to be, how to perceive, how to perceive the world around us, and that crap is repeated over and over and over to us. And uh, repetition is very important in spell casting, and repetition also happens to be how we learn. And uh, those who hold positions of power know full well the power of repetition. They know that if you repeat something long enough to a populace, eventually they'll believe it, no matter how absurd. And so uh, through the constructs of language, entire societies have been formed, And uh, systems have been formed within those societies that would perpetuate the society. And so uh, here in our society, we've got a system, a construct. It has been created. And uh, within this culture, massive numbers of people, I would say growing numbers of people, are actually being uh, tortured emotionally, mentally, physically for their inability or their refusal to conform to what I see is a rapaciously uh, dictatorial uh, society. It's really a construct uh, of, of empire. And it seems to be getting steadily more authoritarian. And this particular system has educated us, or I would say, indoctrinated us And so we have become domesticated like farm animals and we are propping up really what is an artificial construct and everything that is presented to us is presented from the exterior and something that I have noticed through my work with the mushroom is everything it seems is opposite like what we are told it's really opposite. And so for instance health insurance seems more like sickness insurance uh, uh, more often than not and uh, uh, Justice system is really one of trickery and deceit, if you delve into that one, which is quite the labyrinth. Uh, That word progress, progress is the catchword that was used to usher in all the great wonders of the industrial age. And yet now today we are all witness to the indescribable devastation of our planet through that word progress as a result of that. And my very favorite one is hallucinogen, as if to say that these uh, substances merely provide us with hallucinations when really, in reality, the true hallucination is the very construct that we are all holding together through a collective agreement. And so I just want to get in a little bit uh, about uh, form and substance Substance is from the Latin word substantia, which means to stand under or ground. Form is the shadow cast by substance. And so form is a physical form, of course, but it's also quite literally uh, forms that we get in the mail, these pieces of paper, and they're really covered with sigils. Like I look at, you know, bills and that kind of thing, and I think, my goodness, this is only real because we think it is so. And, and so we could, because really, when you think about it, if we really did sort of click on en masse, uh, we could simply just, you know, disagree or no longer consent to uphold something that I think is really enslaving a great number of people. And, uh, and certainly in my uh, explorations of the commercial and civil system that we're in, I had a revelation, and I realized, oh, my God, so those dudes basically have created reality for us. Yet in the words of a very close friend of mine who is a very wise elder, he said, reality is the most malleable substance in the world, really in the universe, and so just as clever folks have figured out how to create a reality for great masses of people, it stands to reason that as we, those people, begin to wake up and get in touch with our own connection to that greater reality, that, that uh, realm of infinite possibility, we can usher in something very different and hopefully something uh, which has the substance of wisdom great wisdom. So I want to just take a, a quick look at our what is the current reality for a number of people in this country. And so let's start with this. So we've got the big city, and, and I lived in that city for a long time, quite familiar with it, quite familiar with the spell of the city. Cities are uh, very rushed, very, very busy, very, very crowded places, and yet the irony is uh, the great numbers of desperately lonely people. Who are in those cities, and then we have this mess, uh, rush hour traffic. And according to Forbes magazine, the average commute time for uh, in this country back and forth to work is 25 minutes each way. And yet, for over 10 million Americans, that commute time is over two hours, upwards of two hours and more each way. That's an aberration. What kind of life is that? Then we have this mess called television. Talk about crazy realities. The average American uh, watches four hours of television a day. And in the words of the late, great 20th century seer Bill Hicks, he said, watching television is like taking black spray paint to your third eye. And that's as far as I'll go with that. Then we have this, cell phones, and uh, boy, have these guys taken over our lives. Now, I work part-time at a little farm uh, in the Seattle area, and I was in the sales office uh, last week, and a mom walked in, and then behind her, uh, her between probably two-and-a-half-year-old uh, tripped over just the three inch step in there splayed forward face full face plant and before her was the cell phone that this little toddler was like this the whole time completely oblivious to all of this around her couldn't even sense a three inch step in front of her and so uh, it is uh, I read that the average person between like 18 and 26 sends Uh, 110 on average uh, text messages a day on these things, and I would argue that that figure is low and really takes us completely out of our senses, away from nature. I mean, they're great, right? I mean, they're really convenient, but oh my goodness, it's talk about a double-edged sword which leads me to this and so for those listening, this is a, a photo of a bottle of Prozac superimposed on a city so here we are Uh, uh, despite the progress, quote-unquote, in the last two decades, the use of antidepressants has skyrocketed. And one in ten Americans are taking antidepressants, and in women in their 40s and 50s, that figure is one in four. And so uh, this is the current reality for the great majority of people uh, in this country, and so we grow up in it, And we are utterly spellbound to it. And we end up becoming sterile and overly rational. And we lose touch with a kind of magic that uh, is is there for us, but uh, we can't seem to connect to it. Instead, we really try to uh, go, go along to get along, you know, and we've got to buck up and uh, say a few uh, positive affirmations, uh, but above all, uh, uh, get back to work, or uh, more aptly, get back to the real world, what we are told is the real world. Thoreau once said, man is little more than a machine, serving not as men, but as machines. Yet, the reality is, it's a construct, it's an overlay, A construct is a container, and a container is a box, and a box is limitation. And so it keeps us bound and very highly limited. Einstein once said that we can't change our problems with the same mindset that created them. We have to think outside of the box. So once again, quoting the great seer Bill Hicks, he said, This is where we are at right now as a whole. No one is left out of the loop. We are experiencing a reality based on a thin veneer of lies and illusions, a world where greed is our God and wisdom is sin, where division is key. And unity is fantasy where the ego driven cleverness of the mind is praised rather than the intelligence of the heart. And in my words, we have sold our souls to a construct that has isolated us from nature and the unseen intelligences that our ancestors of old once knew well. And it was that relationship that informed their rituals and ceremonies and day-to-day engagement with the natural world around them. It was that world that filled them with inspiration to create beauty, to speak poetry, to profess and express love. We have been removed from our true connection with nature, both the natural world around us and our own human nature. And so the alchemical maxim of as within, so without applies here because just as we uh, have misperceived who we are, so too we are also misperceiving really uh, what we are in. And so we must break the spell of being civilized, And that really takes vigilance, takes great vigilance. Uh, The source of our issues ultimately uh, lies within our relationship with the natural landscape around us. Only society has totally, pretty much, I mean, this is gorgeous, yes, but I am speaking to, you know, this is, you know, if you're in Detroit or wherever else, I mean, that is not your landscape. It has been replaced. It has been eradicated uh, by a lot of concrete and steel and really uh, by uh, constructs, literal and uh, figurative. And so ultimately, uh, the problem, I think ultimately, is not in ourselves. The problem is in this construct that we are in, and we're constantly trying to adapt to it and try to not go crazy, some of us, and, and yet... It is the construct itself that is, is really an, an unholy mess. Uh, we are told uh, or the, uh, I think of that term, the World Wide Web, and really we are caught in a web of extraordinary technological wonders and, and these mental constructs. But yet uh, we have uh, fallen away from the true reality, and that is nature. And the mushroom interrupts the spell. It was through the mushroom that I came into relationship with teachers, with unseen ones that uh, have had so much to teach me and they have uh, guided me impeccably. And so... How best to uh, break the spell for ourselves? I see it as a threefold process. First, we must uh, break the spell of how we perceive ourselves to be. Then, we must break the spell of what we think we're in. And then, we must break the spell of seeing that beauty out there as just simply landscape or scenery. And uh, we, have, we see it as really like these biologically programmed organisms. No, no, no. We've got to break that spell and, and really see it for what it is. And so in terms of breaking the spell of how we perceive ourselves to be, I like to take it back to the original issue, which happened to me in a mushroom journey once, uh, where I was taken back to uh, that pure potential Uh, we we all come in and and quite really what we are uh, uh, you can look at it in this way is when we take our first breath we are the physical manifestation of the positions of the constellations with regard to where on the planet we were born and so we come in with the magnetics of that we have this extraordinary potential and the patterns have been set But then we are uh, born to people who they themselves are under the spell to whatever degree they are. And so in words, they speak to us, they teach us, and and we are imprinted by that and further imprinted with uh, uh, the words we uh, uh, are taught in schools. And, you know, religion, media is a, a huge one. Oh, my goodness. And so we develop this really like a false persona in a way. And hopefully, uh, for some of us, I'm willing to bet it is the majority of people in this room, uh, we, we come to a place where it is uh, something is, is, is made available to us, whether it be a profound revelation in meditation or the use of these extraordinary medicines, where we have that opportunity to see and to see the uh, deeper layers beneath the surface story of how we perceive ourselves to be. Now, the second uh, piece is to break the spell of what we think we are in. So once again, quoting uh, Bill Hicks, if you want to if you want to understand a society, take a good look at the drugs it uses. And what can this tell you about American culture? Well, look at the drugs we use. Except for pharmaceutical poisons, there are essentially only two drugs that Western civilization tolerates. Caffeine from Monday to Friday to energize you enough to make you a productive member of society. And alcohol from Friday to Monday to keep you too stupid to figure out the prison you are living in. (laughs) Now, I see deeper messages in the films that I will sometimes watch from time to time. And there was a movie that was out a number of years ago with Jack Nicholson called A Few Good Men. And there was a line from that movie that was bandied about ad nauseum. I wonder if anybody remembers that line. I think that's no accident. And I heard someone say once that politicians lie... To conceal the truth, Hollywood lies to reveal it. And it's quite a metaphor because it presents us with these uh, stories. And most people just sort of see the surface story and they're wowed by it or touched by it or whatever it is. Uh, But most people uh, miss the far, far deeper layers of what is being told to us. So truth It's really for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. There's clues all around us. And I also look to those sayings that we hear so often. And there's two that I've been pondering lately. Uh, The first one is, truth is stranger than fiction. And the other one is, nothing is as it seems. Now that's a biggie. Because we've been told that we are free. And we live in a free country. Well, let's look at this endeavor to get medicines like cannabis and psilocybin legalized. Those grow freely out in nature. They are made available for uh, anyone, and yet we are told, like children, that we are not allowed to use those substances. And so people get together and they petition for the right to explore their own consciousness. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, 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 rights, because any time you ask for the right to do something, you are in a guardian-ward relationship. You are subject or slave to the authority of another. Rights in a civil system, which is what we are in, are privileges, which means civil rights are privileges. Your right to vote is a privilege, and privileges can be taken away at any time. Now, another word for privilege is favor. And there is a legal maxim. Maxims are uh, principles of uh, uh, truth, uh, and they're found in the back of these law dictionaries that I like to read. In the back of Bouvier's law dictionary, there is a maxim that says, favors from government often carry with them enhanced measures of regulation. So we today are paying for the sins of our fathers who fell under the spell of uh, those in power and they traded their autonomy for convenience. And so we have ended up now in a uh, false paradigm that uh, requires absolute conformity to its dictates. I mean, I think we can see this as getting uh, worse and worse and worse. So we have to step back and see the construct. We must see it. You cannot heal or correct what you cannot or will not see. And in order to break a bad habit, you got to see it first. And then you have to correct the behavior. In an article titled, A. Foucauldian Analysis of Psychoanalysis, it says, quote, By modifying the truths and knowledge within which we are fashioned, and in terms of which we fashion ourselves as subjects, we can resist the dominant forms of power relations instantiated in the developing disciplinary society. Indeed, thinking differently means not just disrupting taken-for-granted modes of thinking, but experiencing the world in new ways and acting in it on the basis of a new perspective. Well, the mushroom will open you to a very, very different uh, perspective, and it is one in which your societal conditioning doesn't apply. In fact, it's a hindrance. The mushroom uh, brings us to an extraordinary world where we leave the world of form and we enter the world of substance. And we experience things that we have been told are just our imagination. And I'll tell you, if you are still under the spell of modern culture, there's no way you can really uh, absorb those worlds. Uh, You've got to have that spell broken for you. Now, in the words of Carl Jung, he said, we cannot realize another world ruled by quite other laws, the reason being that we live in a specific world which has helped to shape our minds and establish our basic psychic conditions. We are strictly limited by our innate structure, and therefore bound by our whole being and thinking to this world of ours. Mythic man, to be sure, demands a going beyond all that, but scientific man cannot permit this. To the intellect, all my mythologizing is futile speculation. To the emotions, however, it is a healing and valid activity. It gives existence to a glamour, which we would not like to do without, nor is there any good reason why we should. In traveling these realms, we leave behind this mindset. And in doing so, we are opened to the wisdom of, in this case, the mushroom teachers, and they will expose to you your shadow. They'll expose to you your shortcomings, and they will also expose to you the infinite power and majesty of your being. If you're really lucky, you'll you'll find an ally or two along the way. And so when that journey is over, what are you going to do with it? You're really tasked with bringing that into your life in some way. How's that going to look? And then if you have the courage and the wherewithal, perhaps you can bring that wisdom into your greater community. So science has found that when we do these medicines, we access many other uh, areas of the brain, and I think that is an interesting metaphor, because when we do these medicines, we access an infinite field that is full of uh, different intelligences and they coexist, and they interrelate, and and they will dance with you. Now, uh, when we take the uh, mushroom, I found a quote by uh, a French philosopher, Maurice Merleau-Ponty, and he is describing uh, the effect of mescaline, mescaline on researchers. The mushroom I see is very similar, and just listen to this. He says... The influence of mescaline by weakening the attitude of impartiality and surrendering the subject to his vitality should, if we are correct, favor forms of synesthetic experience. And indeed, under mescaline, the sound of a flute gives a bluish-green color, and the tick of a metronome in darkness is translated as gray patches, the spatial intervals between them corresponding to the intervals of time between the ticks the size of the patch to the loudness of the tick and the height of the pitch to the sound. A subject under mescaline finds a piece of iron, strikes the window with it and exclaims, this is magic. The trees grow greener. Seen in the perspective of the objective Cartesian world with its opaque qualities, the phenomenon of synesthetic experience is paradoxical. Now, David Abram, in his book, The Spell of the Sensuous, then wrote, seen from the perspective of the life world, from the perspective that is of our pre-theoretical awareness, such experiences are recognized as amplifications or intensifications of quite ordinary phenomena that are always going on. Under the influence of the mushroom, we are brought back, we, are, uh, we become very hyper aware of what I see as uh, a magic that is, is always going on around us. Now, uh, uh, this speaks to me of relationship, this uh, piece from her series. I was interviewed once by a guy who had read my book, Love and Spirit Medicine, and he commented, he said, you know, The majority books that uh, I've read in the psychedelic realm, uh, written by men, really deal with, these guys are dealing with mind states. They're dealing with hyper-dimensional physics and interdimensional languages, and and, and you really seem uh, to have uh, major exploration through relationship. And I said, well, yes, because life is relationship. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you did for a living, It is about our relationship to ourself, our relationship with others and with the natural world around us, and, if we're really lucky, our relationship to uh, unseen intelligences, whether you think of them as angels or the divine or uh, nature spirits. So I have formed a relationship uh, a few relationships with extraordinary, uh, uh, I call them beings, and uh, my primary relationship is with a being that calls itself, well, it presents as a white owl, and also with uh, Pan. And uh, they have affected my life dramatically. And, and uh, I, my, my, I have this sense, I'm no scientist, not at all, But my sense is when we ingest these medicines, uh, the intelligences can read our DNA and they can track back through your ancestry. And I am a woman of Celtic blood and North Germanic and Gaul. And I know that in uh, uh, pre-Christianized Europe, before the Romans showed up and civilized us and Christianized us and there went the neighborhood before that, Uh, uh, I know, my people were working with these uh, medicines, and uh, also, there was something very prevalent at the time, and continues to this day, and that was uh, spirit mediumship, where, uh, and it was often the domain of a woman and uh, we heard a little bit from Merrill on the oracles, where uh, the woman really acted as a bridge between the worlds, and she would uh, take in uh, substance and go into a, uh, an ecstatic state and bring through uh, wisdom. She would bring through uh, healing. She would uh, be able to help people find things. Uh, this was back... Uh, before people became really stifled by intellectualism, and they knew that nature could speak to them. And uh, I, I, I am praying <laughs> that uh, we can return to uh, some semblance of that at some point. I was uh, with someone, uh, I was in a deep, be-mushroomed state, and this friend was along for the ride, and she was speaking to the being, speaking through me, and she asked if, if, it, if we would be able to meet it in physical form. And uh, it said, we are not in form, but we can inform. <laughs> and so this is what they have been doing for millennia. For millennia, mankind has been in relationship with allies, Now, the roots of witchcraft and shamanism are intertwined. And in both practices, one always works with an ally. In witchcraft, it's called a fetch. And uh, in medicine work or shamanic work, and by the way, these are labels. I mean, you know, God knows what they called this way back then. Uh, But in any case, I think you just think of it as a, a spirit ally And uh, that is a helping spirit that provides you with guidance and knowledge and also protection. And so I chose a photograph of a a stunning tree. It looks very, very old because trees were at one time in our history uh, considered allies. And for the early European people, uh, they worshipped the trees They worshipped the stones. They worshipped the waters. Uh, They were in very deep relationship with him, and they understood that within the tree uh, was a spirit. And if you uh, treated it appropriately... Uh, it would work with you, and uh, there were these great clans of of folk, and they would gather around some great tree, and it was huge, and its canopy was amazing. You could fit one or two hundred people around those, those trees, and that tree was considered, to the Celts anyway, uh, like the clan leader. And and so much uh, revelry and uh, joy uh, and sadness. Everything was was this wonderful community around this tree, this beautiful uh, uh, relationship with nature. And I would highly recommend uh, any of you uh, who wish to work with these medicines and go outside and if you could find a forest and uh, be by the trees. Uh, And and they continue to uh, speak with me. Now, and, you know, I don't believe in these beings, by the way. I'm long, long past belief. I know them. I know them. They are uh, my kin, really. And when I go out into the uh, forest in particular, I'm so lucky, uh, truly, uh, so blessed to live in the Pacific Northwest uh, where I can get into beautiful forests and uh, experience these beings. And uh, I'll tell you also, uh, uh, since I've been working with the mushroom I have been writing a lot of poetry, and it would often be as a result of being in the forest, and then I would come home, oh, I would have have these words coming into my head and just write out these poems, and at one point the trees, the tree beings said, well, dear one, don't you get it? poetry. (laughs) And and so really what happens, what I find is that the conversation continues beyond the medicine, and it continues through synchronicity. And then I realize, huh, just as I can travel their worlds, so too they can travel ours through this, this extraordinary and strange synchronicities that I'm sure many of you have experienced as a result of your work. And this requires a very different way of perceiving. We really do have to let go of our conditioning, because truly we have been told for so long, oh, that's just your imagination, and uh, we've, we've just become very uh, sterile uh, mentally. And that is, um, it serves in one way, but uh, then it is at the, the loss, the great loss of connection to this magic. Uh, magic is not like a Harry Potter sort of movie, it is very real, and these beings are very real, and um, and there's nice ones, and there's assholes, you know I mean, it's as above, so below um, so, we'll talk about a, a, a cool one, I love this guy, Pan here's my homie and, uh so on my first uh, journey with this medicine, uh, Pan appeared to me. And, and of later, of course, it made sense. It's like, of course, I was in a wild forest, untamed forest. Of course, the god of the forest uh, would show himself. And to my people, the Celtic people, he was known as Kernunos. Uh, and also the Druids called him Hugadarn, and so he is a uh, god of uh, the forest, but also uh, uh, sensuality, unbridled sexuality, uh, revelry, joy, prophecy. He taught Apollo the gift of prophecy before Apollo took over the temple. Um, and so I just I wanted to look up a bit of Kernunos. There's so little out there on the Celtic uh, mythology. And so I found this, and it says uh, the horned one is a Celtic god of fertility, life animals, wealth, and the underworld. He was worshipped all over Gaul, and his cult spread into Britain as well. Cernunnos is depicted with the antlers of a stag, sometimes carries a purse filled with coin. The horned god is born at the winter solstice, marries the goddess of Beltane, and dies at the summer solstice. He alternates with the goddess of the moon in ruling over life and death, continuing the cycle of death, rebirth, and reincarnation. Paleolithic cave paintings found in France that depict a stag standing upright or a man dressed in stag costume seem to indicate that Cernunnos' origins date to those times. Known to the Druids as Hugadarn, god of the underworld and astral planes, the consort of the great goddess, he was often depicted holding a bag of money or accompanied by a ram-headed serpent and a stag. Now, I think it's very interesting that this uh, figure... Uh, was was known uh, throughout Western Europe and Greece and you know all the way back to paleolithic man and the images are are, are pretty uh, consistent aren 't they he 's half man half beast I ultimately see that as a symbol of uh, man 's union with nature i mean we 're way separate from it now, but we are uh, really We really are nature, I think. And this being is saying, uh, He is wanting us all to come back to our senses, as it were, our senses. Where we are feeling and experiencing and in relationship with nature because you know what? She has the cure for everything that ails us. I gave a talk on bee venom therapy last night to the Klamath Basin Beekeepers Association, and you want to talk about a healing mechanism for pain? Boy oh boy, those bees are pretty magical. So she's got. A, a, she can heal anything, truly. And also we can learn so much by looking to nature. And I'm not a non-dualist, I have to say. But, I, you know, I look to nature for my answers. And you can't have life without duality, positive, negative, charge, day, night, sun, moon, whatnot. So, and, and so I do see these beings as, uh, well, you know what, it was explained to me by these beings. And they're really fun. And they uh, said, well, dear, we'll speak in terms of jewelry because we know you like jewelry so much. (laughs) And they said, you are all like a gemstone. Think of the facets on a stone. And so we are each individual facets on that gem. Now, if one of those facets was missing... Uh, you probably wouldn't buy that stone, would you? No. You'd say, what's wrong? That piece is missing. So we are uh, what they have told me, all right, just me speaking uh, uh, individual frequency signatures. And we are essential components to this beautiful cosmic dance that we are in. And really, if you think about the human body, uh, nature, uh, it is composed of cells, part of one being, yet every cell is uh, enclosed in a cellular wall. And I think it's quite, uh, makes things interesting, you know, when we get different individuals and different uh, forms together and uh, we can play. So I will uh, take these last 15 minutes to tell you some stories and just kind of induct you into a very different place where I know certain academic eyebrows would be raised. But this is my reality. I will tell you, and I'll share a few images with you. Uh, So after that experience of uh, seeing Pan on the Mushroom Medicine, a month later I was uh, teaching a group of women We are doing a medicine wheel of peace, and I led a fire ceremony, and one of the women asked if she could take some photos of the ceremonies. I I said, sure. And that night, she sent me a bunch of photos, three or four of the fire and a few of us women, and I sent them off to a friend of mine. I I picked, like, one from the fire, different photos, sent them off. And he wrote back, and he said, Hey, I dig the face in the fire. And I said, face in the fire? What the hell are you talking about? And, um, uh, so I looked at the picture again, and, um... Uh, I don't know, looks like Pan to me. And uh, I do know that fire. every fire has a different personality, and we have been working with uh, fire since time immemorial, right? So there's uh, Pan saying hello to the group of women, and uh, I think winking, taking advantage of the photo op, uh, because I'll tell you, they have a fabulous uh, sense of humor. And then another time, I was in Belize uh, several months later, And uh, uh, I love the jungle. I just walk barefoot through it. It just feels like home to me. And so my friend and I found this place a half hour from the lodge we were staying. And it was this beautiful stream. It was stepped. It was water and then uh, stone, water, stone. So we did a little bit of medicine there. And uh, I did a little ceremony first created an altar whatnot, and we walked through this water until we ca- found this beautiful, well, I felt like it was the perfect place, and I plunked myself down, and I proceeded to speak with the jungle spirits until I looked straight ahead and realized, I said, oh, there's Pan. I was sitting directly across, look at the water, the way the two sides of the water come down, they look like horns, and the two eyes and a nose looks like a face, and I really get this piece where they say uh, this is for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. And so truly, when you engage these medicines, you are given uh, the ability to see things that uh, many others can't and to hear with different ears. And so there there he is. Uh, and so and I'll just tell you another really fast story um, I got divorced and my husband is a good friend, ex husband. Uh we lived together for two years, I had no dough and um I was not going to do an apartment or whatever. I said, I want a cottage on a horse farm nestled in trees. It has to be close to my girls' school, because where I live, there's horse farms. And uh, it took two years, but I held to that. And I did ceremony outside, not with plant medicine, but just talking to the trees. And I called in Pan, and I said, please, dear one, bring this to me. Speak to the trees, have them send it through their roots, and bring me this place. Well, two years later, a month before the place showed up, a friend of mine... Um, who has some dough, said, hey, are you going to need some dough for this, the deposit? And I said, I am. I was going to need like five grand. And she goes, how about five grand? And I was like, okay. And then a friend of mine found this place, and so I decided to take it. It was absolutely perfect. It was right next to my girl's school, nestled in trees on a 16-acre horse farm, 1940s cottage. And then the landlady, I'm talking business with her, and she says, all right, if I said to you, let me talk to my finance person, I wouldn't tell you their name. Who cares? She says, let me talk to my finance person, Pam, and I'll get back to you. (laughs) So, you know, 10 minutes, okay, I'll be fast. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, strange things happen when you can open to this and these beings will work with you, truly. Uh, It is a very different way that we've been taught But we can call in this magic. And then I will just uh, quickly talk about this other ally, uh, White Owl. Now, what better guide for a seer than an owl? owls that can see in the dark and see what others can't and others won't. Now this being uh, assists me when I work one-on-one with people. She helps me to hear beneath and between the words that this person is saying and then zero in on the origination point of the wounding, which is psychic wounding and mostly happens during childhood. And I had uh, synchronicity after synchronicity after synchronicity with this medicine with Owl. Uh, what happened was it, it, it started with one time in the woods and then I had to go back the following month and then I had to go back the following month and it really became a soul journey. And the soul doesn't give a rat's ass what the rules of the day are. The soul has this being to grow. And so I did a year of monthly, of uh, five to and higher uh, doses of this medicine in nature... And it was really like a training when I look back, like a soul training. And I grew so much. And so the owl was coming to me, showing up on my journeys, flying over me in the forest and hooting. And then I started bringing it through and speaking this very strange owl language. Then I was a runner at the time. All of a sudden now I run early in the morning and the owl's hooting. And then an owl was outside my window at night when I would go to bed. And then we applied to the school for our girls' And then I go, and the mascot, lo and behold, it's the owl. And I knew then, of course, they're going to get in. And then I get a call from uh, a person I know who is a Native American medicine person, a dear friend, and they create medicine objects. They didn't know any of this was happening to me, and they said, uh, listen, I have something that was bequeathed to me four years ago, and I want you to have it. It's yours. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, I want you to come see it. And I said, can you just tell me? And by the way, that was a Monday. I'd just gotten back from the rainforest that weekend, and I had this profound experience with an owl. And she says, it's the tail of a snowy white owl. And uh, so, uh, so yes, yeah, so she is my ally. And by the way, there's a formula, and I've heard, uh, heard like some government official t- say this on like a YouTube video. He said, uh, we always look at this. Uh, if it happens once, it's an accident. Twice, it's a coincidence. Three times, it's a pattern. And so this has absolutely been the case for me. It's been a pattern. And so through the working with the mushroom, these beings have pierced the veil, and they're guiding me. And not only that, I work with people one-on-one, and I teach. And you know what? The majority of people I work with, they'll never find their way to these medicines. They won't. It's not realistic for them, and they don't need to. And yet the medicine is working through me. The medicine is working through me and assisting them. And I do find it interesting that the majority of people who I speak with who are devoted to these medicines uh, are in service. They're very moved to be in service in some way. And so uh, this being is just, she's extraordinary. Oh, okay, so uh, real fast. This is a good one. Uh, I was in Bailey's, uh, that trip I told you about, at the very beginning. um, Where I live in uh, Seattle area, there's garter snakes, and I love them, and I pick them up, and I hold them, and I admire them. So I was in the Central American jungle and I wasn't thinking and I saw this beautiful red and black snake and I picked it up and immediately and it bit me (laughs) and it was poisonous so I uh, spent the night in the hospital and anti-venom and the whole deal and I could have died and uh, anyway so later that week Uh, When we found this beautiful place on the stream and we did the medicine and I had done ceremony created a little altar by this tree And then we walked through the water towards the end of that I started to get scared and I realized oh god, it's getting near dusk And that's when the snakes come out for the first time in my life I felt fear And the jungle spirit said daughter do not be afraid The snake people will keep away. We will see you safely home now. This is an owl story And I said, okay. And so, you know, I make my way back to the beginning of this stream where the tree was, where I did the ceremony. And on that tree is that butterfly. And I'm standing there waiting for my friend to come. And the butterfly lifts off. It lands on my third eye and then on my shoulder and then on this tree. And I say to my friend, hey, check this out. This owl just did this look at it. Anyways, then we start walking. It's a half hour back to the lodge, and about ten minutes in, I start to get scared. And instantly in my mind the, the jungle spirits say, dear one, we told you we would see you safely home, and it is so. Do not doubt. And in that moment, that butterfly shows up, and it's flying all around me, and I was like, oh, okay, alright. So I keep moving, uh, and then down the bit, I am thinking of this Mayan goddess. I have uh, done a lot of work there, and uh, her. it's Ishel. No sooner did my mind formulate the word each shell then that butterfly shows up again flying all around me and I start to think I don't think this is an ordinary butterfly this is so crazy and then I keep going another I don't know 10 minutes or so and it, I turn, turn a corner it's there flying and at that moment I put out my hand and it landed on my hand and it stayed there in time for my friend to open his the zipper pull out his camera turn it on take the picture, and I realized in that moment this is our envoy that the Spirit sent to see us home. Okay, I get home, and a month later it occurs to me, I wonder what the name of that butterfly is. I'll look it up on Google. There are 700 species of butterfly in Belize, and don't you know the name of that butterfly is Owl Butterfly. Which brings me To my final image by my beautiful friend Tara, and this makes me think of receptivity. So when we break the chains of our conditioning, we are an open conduit to the waters of wisdom. And this is when we experience gnosis, This is when we feel that reverence for life. And truly, if we are going to heal ourselves, each other, this planet, that is the state that we want to be in. And so I'm going to finish my talk with a poem. When I was preparing for this talk, I requested a poem from my friends and uh, my friend La Lorien once said, Poems don't happen just every day. And she's right. They're really like an event. It's so special when one comes through. I see poetry as the language of the soul. And so I just invite you to uh, come into an even more receptive state and just receive these words. This mystery lies hidden in view, yet sadly is known to only a few. Who have eyes and ears that can perceive and the imagination to conceive of worlds within worlds where beings of knowledge hold secrets contained in an ancient college that all can access who have the heart and burning desire to learn the art of speaking a language a foreign tongue learned through a medium growing in dung. An unlikely place for a ship to be found that transports the seeker from common ground to spectacular wonders that fly in the face of reason and rule that constricts your race to a prison of mind that holds you back and colors your imagination black. Come fly with us. And you will discover a wondrous place that is like no other, a place of connection to all that is dear, a place long known to the ancient seer who humbly traveled with open heart, whose intention was pure from the very start. This place has cures for what ails your folk, and wisdom that feeds the fires you stoke. The beings who dwell in these places are real, known only to those who are able to feel. We watch you all from behind the veil. We possess what you call the holy grail. It can only be accessed by breaking the spell "'It is then you can drink from the sacred well "'of knowledge and truth and noble intentions "'that transcend the constructs of man's inventions. "'Come fly with us, dear seekers who yearn, "'whose souls ache for truth, whose beating hearts burn "'for communion with shimmering beings of light. "'We offer you the gift of sight. "'We offer it freely in spite of your rules, "'made by those who play for fools.'" Our worlds offer freedom to be and express, to call forth your nature that is no less than magnificent in its radiance and beauty. Wake now, dear humans, that is your duty. Thank you. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time.
0: Did you do what I did when Shauna spoke about the fact that our daily lives are actually hallucinations? It made me think about the title of one of Terence McKenna's books, True Hallucinations. So what, if I may ask, is the true hallucination in your life? For me, uh, well, this seems like a good question to keep in front of myself as I proceed through the day. And when Shauna mentioned Bill Hicks in her talk, I was reminded of a comedian who is most certainly on the same level as Hicks was, and that person is Barry Crimmins. To be honest, I hadn't heard about Barry until I listened to Joe Rogan's interview with him on Joe's podcast number 679. And with Barry during that interview was Bobcat Goldthwaite, who had just released a documentary film that he made about Barry. The film is titled, Call Me Lucky, and uh, while I don't want to be a spoiler here, all I'm going to say is that if you enjoy the comedy of Bill Hicks, then you're going to love the uh, early Barry Cummins. However, there is significantly more to this documentary than some excellent social commentary in the form of humor. So if you get a chance, I suggest that you listen to Joe's podcast, number 679, and then go out to Netflix and watch the documentary. It'll uh, blow you away, I'm sure. By the way, uh, at the suggestion of one of our fellow saloners, I just opened a new forum titled "Psychedelic Thought and Action," which will hopefully provide a place for you to post things that you think our other fellow saloners might pick up on. Also, uh, Chartus's uh, recent post titled "The Edward Snowden Guide to Practical Privacy." has a link to uh, some tips that may help you evade some of the uh, mass surveillance that our governments are conducting on us. There's uh, also a lengthy discussion that uh, Viridus started with his post about the psychedelic society in the UK. And uh, Greg VK caught my attention with his post titled Relationships with People Who Are Against the Use of Psychedelics. <laughs> and I'll bet that's something that many of our fellow salonners can relate to. So if you get a chance, uh, please join us on the Find the Others forum. Uh, You can try it out for a year for free in case you're interested. And uh, after that, the nominal charge of $1 per per month will uh, hopefully cover our expenses here in the salon and eliminate any uh, donation buttons or annual pledge drives, which uh, is something that I'm sure we can all rally around. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be careful out there, my friends.